0: So we just sang a song, a good song. I never I, don't, I didn't know the song. I don't know. Maybe you did. Um, I'm not super up on the top 50 Christian charts. Um, so maybe that's up there. I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is this song is one of the absolute most powerful things that we can do as people, believe it or not. The medium of music, and I'm not just saying that because I love to play music, because I love to, you know, like, you know that, you guys know that about me. But, like, it's not just me saying, oh, what I like to do is incredibly powerful. (laughs) But it's true. It's true that music has an ability to speak down into the core of our being in a way that few things can. Right? I can stand up here and speak all day long or for the next, you know, 35, 40 minutes or so being generous, optimistic. Um, and, And it will not have the impact. And I realize this in a way sometimes that a song could. Because songs spark our imagination. Songs speak down to the core of our being. They have an ability to move us at an emotional level that so many things just cannot do. It's why many of us are drawn to music. Maybe there's some of you that are like, you know what, I'm not really that into music. That's not really my thing. But I think for a vast majority of us, we at least on, a, on a, at a, at a, you know, some level, enjoy listening to some kind of music. Or we can think back to songs that, you know, when we hear them, they spark memories or they bring back thoughts of things. Music, singing, is powerful. Now, That power can be good. That power can be bad. But I think what we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that singing is powerful, that music, the medium of song, has a powerful, powerful impact in our lives. And and so we have been kind of talking about this, this, right, looking at Deuteronomy through the theme of an invitation to know God, And after we finished this kind of, you know, an invitation to know through memory, an invitation to know through worship, an invitation to know through law, right? We, 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 you know, we walked through four weeks looking at that. We circled back around and we came back to Deuteronomy 6. And if you'll remember, if you were here, you remember back to Luke's first sermon um, talking about obedience And, and, and really laying out this idea that as people, we are called to, we were created to, we are called to obey God. Now, saying it like that sounds really stuffy, it sounds really constricting, but the reality is that we are called into obedience because God has created us in a way, uh, a way that life is supposed to be, a way that we're supposed to live that leads to flourishing, and so this obedience, rather than being stuffy and shoving us into a box, actually frees us to live the life that God desires for us. And so God lays out a vision for what it looks like to live at his created purposes and to enjoy him and to enjoy his creation. And so that's really obedience, rather than being this stuffy thing, is actually an incredibly freeing thing. Rather than keeping me from being uh, who I want to be or who I should be, it actually points us to becoming more of what I was created to be. And so then it really sparks the question then, how do I become a person who obeys? Now, all of this is predicated on the notion that you and I have said, yes to Jesus. That we, we we believe in that vision. That we want to follow the vision of, of that, that God has laid out for what it looks like to be truly human. The vision that we see, I think, most fully in, in Jesus. And that when we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit. And that's key. This is not just simply pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying harder. This is rather partnering with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God in our lives to become the people that God wants us to be. Not just for ourselves, but for the good of the world. That's the big vision here. So, how do we become those people? How do we partner with the Spirit? And we've seen in Deuteronomy chapter 6 two main ways um, that, that we do that. Because, right, just believing the right things is not enough. Right? I can say and know all the right answers to every Bible quiz that ever existed, but that does not make me a person who looks any more like Jesus not on its own, and in fact, I think, knowing all the right answers, like having all the right information, is of no use if it doesn't bring about transformation. Right, being able to have the right, the right world view to say this is the way the world should be, that's, that's all well and good, but what happens when we actually, when the, you know, the rubber hits the road, to use the cliche, and, and we're met in life with a circumstance, what do we do? That will be the real answer, the real test of what we believe. We can say we believe all the right things, but when it comes down to it, when, when we're tempted or, or we're, you know, when, when life hits a difficult moment, how we react, how we live in that moment will say a lot about what's actually going on inside our heart. So we talked about the idea of looking at, at how things like ritual, the things that we do, the habits that we form, the you know, things like communion or singing or, or listening to a sermon, coming to church, being part of a community group, all of those habits that we develop, the habits of reading my Bible on a regular basis, the habits of prayer, the habits of, of, of maybe even things like, like fasting or, or habits of things like taking a Sabbath, like all of those things have an ability to speak down into the core of our being. And to shape who we are, right? And then we talked about last week the idea of how story does that. The stories that we believe shape who we become. The stories that we believe not just at a surface level, but the stories that we hear and we internalize shape who we become, so if I listen consistently and constantly only to the stories of, of like capitalism, only to the stories, and, and again, I know I pick on this all the time, but it's just one of those, it's, it's too easy, like, right? It's low-hanging fruit, okay? If I just pick on the stories of like, say all the, all the ads of, of Kildare Village, or you know what, we were watching a YouTube video earlier here, uh, and an ad for, for Ford came up trying to sell me a car, right? If I just listen to those visions, I will always hunger after those things, like they will speak down into the core of my being. Something else needs to be speaking into my life to counter those stories that say what you need is more, 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 right? And so the stories that we listen to, the stories that we internalize, the stories that we believe are really important, right? Okay, so we have ritual and we have story and they help us to become people who not just think the right thoughts, but actually do the right things, who are transformed, who become the people, who are at least becoming the people that God wants us to be. And I think deep down, isn't that what we desire? We desire flourishing. We desire to have a life that is that that is full and satisfying. We desire the peace, you know, the shalom that God offers, that that peace that comes in all directions, that peace with myself, that peace with other people, that peace with the world. And it really it comes through peace with God. That's the story of the Bible. It says you want those things, it's going to come by having peace with God. And so we become the people who live out that vision as we internalize and we speak really to the center of our imagination. And when we were talking about ritual, I think I mentioned this, that Paul in Ephesians chapter uh, chapter one prays that the Ephesians would have the eyes of their hearts opened to see the glorious magnificence of Jesus and what he has done for you and me. And that's what we're talking about. How do we open those eyes of our hearts? (laughs) So that we love the right things, so that we do the right things, so that we care. We become whole people that are actually transformed and changed. And I, I think, honestly, for most of us, I hope that that's what we want. But we know in our own lives, there are deep, there's deep confliction there. That oftentimes, the things I want to do are not the things that I do. <laughs> and the things that I don't want to do are the things that I want to do. Right? We know that. And so this is where rituals and stories, apart from you know, not being something stuffy and old-fashioned and useless, but rather are powerful things. But the third thing, and I think we see this in Deuteronomy 32, is that song has an ability to speak down into our imaginations, down into the core of how we understand and see the world. And so really, it is these, these, three, these three metrics all right, and, and this is not just something I've, I've made up in my head. This is something um, that, that some, like, there's biblical scholars that have wrote about this in Deuteronomy, for instance. A guy named A.J. Culp um, was, was deeply influential on, on, on me uh, in that, but also philosophers like, like Charles Taylor or um, Pierre Bourdois. I don't really speak French, but it's something like that, right? I mean, these, these are things that they've talked about, like, and discussed, like, how people are created, how we become. The people we are. And surprise, surprise, the philosophers, as they study it, actually end up coming up with a pretty biblical idea of how we become who we are. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool, really, um, that, it, that it actually matches something, you know, they thought they were really revolutionary, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s when they were coming up with these ideas, or Charles Taylor in the 80s and 90s. But really, all we have to do is, you know, look back a couple thousand years and we've, we read Deuteronomy. All right, and so this morning, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 32, talking about story. Now, let's dive into the text. Let's look at this song and ask us what it's, actually, what it's actually teaching us. And then we'll come back around to the power of song again. But I think it's important that we walk through Deuteronomy 32 to see what is this song actually telling us? What is this song encouraging the people to sing? And weirdly enough, when you come to... Um, when you come to Revelation, Revelation chapter 15, you read that in, in the new creation, people are singing this song. It actually says that, that the people were gathered around the throne singing the song of Moses. So, so just, just know we're going to be singing this song at some point. All right? Uh, so Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 32. Before we get to Deuteronomy 32, and you're like, Dang it, didn't you just have an introduction? Okay, Deuteronomy 31. <laughs> Deuteronomy 31 is important, right? Okay, so Deuteronomy 31. Let's just start there as we work our way into Deuteronomy 32. So Deuteronomy 31 and, and verses 14 to 30, but really we're just gonna focus on, on verses 16 to 22. They step away from this sermon that Moses has been speaking, right? So Deuteronomy, as we said, is, a, is, a, is a, just a super long sermon, really, is what it is. Okay, and it's the last, it's the swan song of Moses. It is, it is his magnum opus. It is the last thing he is telling the people before he, before he dies. Okay, and we get this like weird like like break here. All of a sudden, it's not Moses speaking anymore. It's somebody else speaking and saying, "Here's what here's what happened, what happened with with Moses." So, let's read this together. Deuteronomy thirty one verses sixteen to twenty two. It gives us our context. The Lord said to Moses, "You are about to die and join your ancestors. After you are gone, these people will begin to worship foreign gods, the gods of the land where they are going. They will abandon me." and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will blaze forth against them. I will abandon them, hiding my face from them, and they will be devoured. Terrible trouble will come down on them. And on that day they will say, these disasters have come down on us because God is no longer among us. At that time, I will hide my face from them on account of all the evil they commit by worshiping other gods. So, write down the words of this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Help them learn it so may serve as a witness for me against them. For I will bring them into the land I swore to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. There they will become prosperous, eat all the food they want, and become fat. But they will begin to worship other gods. They will despise me and break my covenant. And when the great disasters come down on them, this song will stand as evidence against them. For it will never be forgotten by their descendants." I know the intentions of these people even now before they have entered the land I swore to give them. So that very day, Moses wrote down the words of the song and taught it to the Israelites. So you already get a picture. This is going to be a real bright flowery song, isn't it? The people are going to rebel. That's what, Moses, that's what God tells Moses. He says, write this song because people are terrible and we know what people do. They wander away from me. Like, these guys, as much as I love them, as much as I care for them, I'm going to do good for them, but they're going to walk away from me. And you know what? I'm going to, like, take my hands off and let them have what they want. And when they do, they're going to go, God doesn't love us anymore. God has abandoned abandoned us. But then they'll remember this song. Then they'll remember this song. So this song is important. Because it's for those moments that we feel like, or the Israelites were going to feel like God had abandoned them, that God had left them this song is there for you. If you're in that place, this song is there for you. Those moments that we feel like God is is silent or God has disappeared, it is a reminder that God is still faithfully with us. And so then we come to Deuteronomy 32. The song then is written to teach and to remind when we come to Deuteronomy 32 verse 7 it says remember the days of long ago it is important that the people are to remember it is written to teach and to remind them of who God is one of the things you'll see repeated over and over through these verses is that God is a rock he is pictured as the rock that God is faithful. He is a faithful rock. But not only that, we get the picture that God is a covenantal father. Two of these, these two pictures, I think, are incredibly important. And they are to serve as a reminder of the people, to the people of Israel who God is. He is a faithful rock. That like the most solid piece of granite, he will not move, he will not break, he will not falter and that he is a covenantal and loving father. Now, maybe you didn't have a good dad. And rather than comparing God to your dad, I think it's one of those we always have to compare our dads to God. And this is important. God is not a God who walks away. God is not a God who abandons. God is not a God who mistreats his children. God is a God who is faithful, Loving, He is the best kind of father. He is a perfect father who loves perfectly. And as we get in more into the song, these are two important things we we have to remember about God. God is a faithful rock and covenant father. And he reminds them then too within this song of who they are. They are a people prone to wonder and rebel. And it paints for them a picture of a bleak future if they rebel. But it doesn't leave them without hope. And that's one of the things that we'll see as we look at at the song. So the song, as I said, starts on a positive note. Verses 1 to 4 remind us of who God is. Let's just read that quick. Listen, O heaven, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words that I say. Let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. It will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. And so the first few lines of this song remind us of who God is. Because in moments where things seem dark or in moments where things seem bleak, we remember that everything God does is just and fair. His deeds are perfect. He is the faithful God who does no wrong. And so the song reminds us of who God is: faithful and just. He is glorious and his deeds are perfect. The song then goes on to remind us as we continue to read who the people are. Who have the people been? It takes us back you know, in history as to how the people have lived, how they have acted. These people, uh, the, the Israelites, who they are. But not only who they are, but what God has done for them. We look at verses 9 to 11, and we're skipping down a bit here. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. He found them in a desert land, in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes. Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young, so he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinions. We get this picture of how God has been so lovingly faithful to his people that though they didn't deserve it, God came to them and he has lovingly brought them, right? If we know the story, right? If we've read Deuteronomy, if we've, we've looked at the story, what is the story? He brought them out of slavery in Egypt into freedom. Right? But then we find in the, in the wilderness, the people rebelled, but God still remained faithful. He gave them food to eat, water to drink, whether it came from a rock or whether it was quail falling from the sky or manna, which really just means what is it? Because who knows what it actually was, but apparently it was okay, it tasted all right. Like, you know And, and like, God had provided miraculously for the people over and over. He surrounded them. He watched over them. He guarded them as He would guard his own. Eyes. We, we read about like pillars of smoke and pillars of fire that led the people through the wilderness. We read about God's presence coming into this tabernacle, this tent that the people carried with them. God's presence was with them, over and over, like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. Now I have no experience with eagles and their chicks. Okay, but I did once see my sister uh, get underneath a tree with a with a jay and. Uh, that had a nest with chicks. And I watched it dive-bomb my sister over and over. And that was scary enough. So I can only imagine what an eagle is like. Um, and as the big brother, I just more watched, sat back, and, and observed, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, just, you know, I may have yelled, like, run! I, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, um, true story. I'm a terrible big brother. Um, <laughs> my sister can confirm that. Uh, I hope I'm a better big brother now, but um, anyway. <coughs> God had rescued and adopted them. And so there's this beautiful, we see this beautiful picture of a familial relationship, of adoption, of love, where God has just been overwhelmingly, lavishly faithful to these children that didn't necessarily deserve it. This is who God is. And so, so far, I think this song, man, it's, it's beautiful. It's great. It creates this vision, this passion. Guys, I, I, I do think like there's something to, as we read this song, I think we long for this. We desire for this. We don't want a God that's absent, that just spun the top of the earth and walked away and, and, and you know, just says, do whatever you want, make a mess of it. I don't care. Like we want a God who is present and active in our lives, who who is real and tangible, who is loving and caring. Right? I think we long for that. And this This song tells us that's what God is like. But the song then takes a very dark turn. If you guys have been reading ahead, then you know, right? The song takes a dark turn because we learn about the people of Israel and what they are like. In verse 15, we read this wonderful lyric that they got to sing out loud all the time. But Israel soon became fat and unruly, the people grew heavy, plump, and stuffed. Then they abandoned the God who made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. How would you like to sing that all the time? <laughs> it was like one of those. As I was like reading the song, I was like, they had to sing this like all the time. And then I'm like, wait, we'll be singing it. In Revelation 15 says so. You know, I'm like, <laughs> and we grew fat and plump. You know, I don't know how it goes, but like, you know, I just it's one of those. Anyway, I'm weird. Just imagining singing that. Um, And we have evidence they actually did sing it the Dead Sea Scrolls like you find it like it's it's in the dead Like people were literally singing this so anyway um, But the important note I think as we as we take this turn into the you know into the woods here um, with this song Is that none of it had happened yet Why are those song lyrics there? They hadn't done these things yet. They hadn't even gone into the land. If, 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 just for context, like they're literally standing at the mountain, like at a mountain just outside of the promised land, preparing to cross the river into the promised land. They haven't gone there yet, right? So they're at this moment, they're at Mount Horeb, they're at this moment where God is calling them into covenant faithfulness. And so, what he talks about in this song has not yet happened. It's not certain. It's almost as if God is warning them, saying, You you get to choose your own adventure here. You get to choose your story. You can continue to live in the faithfulness of God, experiencing the goodness and the joy and the presence of God, or you can go your own way. You can go your own way. I just thought of this meme. Sorry, I see it all the time. It was one of those, uh, I don't know if you've seen this. Like, yeah, I just thought, like, it's, it's this moment of decision, right? In the song where they have this point, go, which button am I going to push? Am I going to push the easy button that says, okay, God is faithful. I can continue to live in his presence. I can enjoy him. I can know him. Or am I going to go my own way? Am I going to do my own thing? Which one am I going to choose? And it's one of those, honestly, as we sit back and we look at this, like, objectively, just at the text, we're like, Come on, idiots, like push the right button, enjoy the presence of God, enjoy the reality of the life with God. And yet the reality is for you and me, we're just like that too. <laughs> what am I going to push? Because there's all these influences coming at us. and God knew this, right? In the song, it actually says, You will chase after gods you have not known. You will go into the land and be tempted by all of these other things, all these shiny toys. You'll walk into the, you know, you'll walk into the idol factory and you'll go, ooh, that one's shiny. I kind of like that one, right? It's like that idea that all of us have those things, whatever it is for you, that tempt you to not trust God and to put our trust into other things. And so we find that none of this has happened yet, but this is the possible future that they could avoid. They could avoid. And as we continue to read verses 15 to to 27, they take us on a journey of what it looks like to destroy a relationship. 15 to 27. We've already read 15. How they became fat and unruly. They stirred up his jealousy, verse 16, by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons which are not God, to gods they had not known before, to new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. You neglected the rock who had fathered you. You forgot the God who had given you birth. The Lord saw this and drew back, provoked to anger by his own sons, and daughters, right, where am I? how far was it going to go? 27. He said, I will abandon them, then see what becomes of them. For they are a twisted generation, children without integrity. They have aroused my jealousy by worshiping things that are not God. They have provoked my anger with their useless idols. Now I will rouse their jealousy through people who are not even a people. I will provoke their anger through the foolish Gentiles. For my anger blazes forth like a fire and burns to the depths of the grave. It devours the earth and all its crops and it ignites the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters upon them and shoot them down with my arrows. I will weaken them with famine, burning fever and deadly disease. I will send the fangs of wild beasts and poisonous snakes that glide in the dust. Outside the sword will bring death and inside terror will strike. Both young men and young women, both infants and the aged. We'll just stop there. I told you it got dark. It takes us on a journey of what it looks like to destroy a relationship, to chase after other things, to look for other things, to betray the one who loves us. And the thing is, is that movies... And songs tend to gloss over the absolute living hell that is created people do this kind of thing. When deep betrayal happens and collateral damage is inflicted on innocent children and bystanders, and yet this is the story of our world. And this is the story that we find here in Exodus 32 that the people are to sing this bright, shiny story of what it looks like when people actually do whatever they want. In Judges, they have a phrase for this. When the people live like there is no God in Israel, and every man does whatever they want. This is what it looks like. And so we find in verses 19 to 20, a key verse that I think maybe we missed as we read it, and it's really important to read. The Lord saw this and drew back. Provoked to anger by his own sons and daughters, he said, I will abandon them. Then see what becomes of them. This is something I think is key. As we go on and we read all of these things that are going to happen to the people of Israel, this is not active God doing these things to them. This is passive. A rebellious people that says, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I'm done. In fact, I like this bright, shiny thing better. And what we read then is the Lord saw this and drew back. He said, okay, if that's what you want, you can sit in it. And sometimes, and if you're a parent, you know this, sometimes as a parent, there are times where you have to do that where you can tell them all the right things, you can say, here's the way that you should live, here's what you should do, here's all the right things, and your children just aren't gonna do it. Like, I'm not gonna pick on my kids, I'm gonna pick on me. (laughs) My parents did that for me constantly growing up. And I went, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? It led me to be a pretty miserable person at the time. I had a time in my life where I, I made a lot of really stupid mistakes. I knew all the right things. And even there, further along, as I became a Christian, I still did things like that. Where I went, yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's a bad idea, but I still want to do it. I will abandon them. Then see what becomes of them. God simply gives the people what they want. And if you want a life without God, it's as if he says, okay. But what that means is I'm going to withdraw my protection. I can't, I can't, I'm not going to protect you from these things anymore. I've been protecting you from these things. I mean, look, guys, the people of Israel, they were not this huge, enormous juggernaut of a power. They were a fairly small, insignificant group of people that didn't even have their own land yet. And yet, God had over and over protected these people as they lived out in the wilderness. And you know what? They're going to go into the promised land. And if you know the story of Israel, they're going to go into the promised land. They're going to conquer it eventually. They're going to get this land. But guess what's going to happen is they rebel and they chase after other gods. They chase after other things. Eventually God says, all right, if that's what you really want. And guess what? Bigger, badder powers come in. Powers that didn't yet exist at this point when this song was written. At least not as like a significant world power are going to come in and they're going to crush them and bring them into exile. That's what's going to happen. And God says, if that's what you really want. But even there in him saying that, it is his grace. It is his grace to show them their need and their their, their heart's longing really is for God. And so verse 22 to 25 that we just read is a poetic description of God's passive judgment when he lets the chaos of creation that was brought into this world by human beings, when he lets that finally just have its way with the people of Israel. God pictures how he'd been holding back the floodwaters of chaos, but that he will do it no more. And like I said, we could be tempted to think God has a pretty negative outlook here. Because it's God who wrote the song, and it says very specifically, actually, as we look, and I didn't mention this earlier, Maybe I did, I don't know, but I didn't read it. Where it says Hold on. The Lord, sorry, for 16, we did read it. The Lord said to Moses. And then he said it to him to write this song. Now where can I find it? There we go. 19, that's what I'm looking for. I knew it was in there. So write down the words of this song and teach it to the people of Israel. These are the words of God, guys. And so we could be tempted to think that God has a pretty negative outlook here. You know, to kind of be like, man, God, that's pretty dark. Why would you do that? Say, man, you're like, we're about to go into the promised land. Why not a song of celebration? Why this song? You know, but this would miss the point of the song. The song is a reminder of God's faithfulness and warning about the future. But it is a song that is meant to keep the people from traveling this road. It is actually a song of grace. It is a song that says, don't do this. But it is dark. And like I said, it describes a journey of destroying a relationship. And like I said, we could be tempted to be like, man, God, that's really dark. But in many ways, does this song not also describe our current cultural moment? (laughs) It was something I was thinking about. I was struck by as I was studying the passage. A cultural moment of people and I we I can probably include myself in this, who are often narcissistic and live for ourselves. I'm not saying like textbook narcissists, but like reasonably narcissistic people <laughs> who live for ourselves, looking out for ourselves. That because of our own selfishness, we bring collateral damage, raining down on others? Or maybe the flip side of it, you experience the collateral damage done by others. I think there's something about the words of this, even this dark portion of this song, that ring true even in our current moment. We are quick to forget God and his faithfulness and his goodness to us. We think that life without him will often will be better, whether we implicitly or explicitly think that in our thoughts. Our actions show often that that is how we live. We chase and strive after other gods, thinking we can manipulate them into giving us happiness. And it's funny because I I was actually thinking, I'm like, I wonder, and this is something I had no idea. Actually, this is how out of touch I am with, with the, uh, the current secular top, you know, top songs in the world as well. But I was just curious. I'm like, I wonder what the lyrics of the number one song in Ireland right now are. And so I looked it up. Does anybody know what it is, what the number one song in Ireland right now is? And actually, it's the number five song globally. I looked, I looked that up too. I was like, what about the world? It's Taylor Swift's anti-hero. Oh. Have you, has anybody heard this song? No, that's okay. That's fine. It's actually fairly catchy. I'll, I'll be honest. Like Taylor Swift is not somebody I would typically listen to, but when I listened to the song, I was like, "Oh, that, that's not bad." I, I mean, it was one of these. I was actually discussing with Alyssa. I have like a penchant towards like sad music anyway. Uh, and, and let me tell you, like, like it's it's pretty dark on its own. All right. So I actually put up just for, for our own uh, our own entertainment here, so that we could look at this song. So right. Like, what are the songs that our world sings? What are the songs that are, being, that are being spoken to us on a regular basis? And I actually think this song is not like unique. There's nothing unique about, I, I'd say, the lyrical themes of the song. So it starts off like this. where This is, this is Taylor Swift. I, I'll, I'll put it up in just a second. Sorry, because I, I only have, a, I only have the, uh, the second verse up here. Oh, here, I'll just put the second verse up. Just don't read it yet. Um, so. So here's how, here's how she starts the song. I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. I mean, I can relate to that. <laughs> Midnights become my afternoons when my depression works the graveyard shift. All of the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. Now we read that part. I should not be left to my own devices. They come without prices and vices. I end up in crisis. I'm reading this out loud, I'm like, she's not going to win a poetry award. But um, <laughs> It's one of those like, yeah, listening to it is one thing. Like reading it out loud, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm like a sixth grader at a poetry contest. Um, tale as old as time. I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving, because you've got tired of my scheming for the last time. And then she says in the chorus, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero." Now, obviously, it's much I'm not going to win awards for my poetry delivery, either. Um, But I think that's a song that when we hear it, when we listen to it, like I think it resonates with our culture with our culture that pushes and pushes for us to think only of ourselves, for us to live for ourselves. And we see so often the reckoning of what happens when we live that way. We end up feeling and experiencing songs like Taylor Swift is singing here. And I do think that in some way, these lyrics are reminiscent of the warnings in Deuteronomy 32, verses 15 to 27 that we read. But here's the difference. Antihero just like continues in the same vein, OK? It doesn't get any happier. It actually gets even more depressing, believe it or not. It, there was just like w- lyrics that I didn't really want to read out loud, not because they're explicit, just because it's even more awkward. Um, you know, like, <laughs> it, was, it was one of those, I'm sorry. There are just things like, yeah, I, I, I'm not, there's poetry I'm not going to read. We'll let Taylor sing it. Um, Taylor Swift, that is. Um, I guess if Taylor wasn't, anyway. Um, here's the difference. Antihero goes on in darkness. I digress. (laughs) Antihero goes on in darkness. But Deuteronomy 32 doesn't. And this, I think, is a huge difference. Deuteronomy 32 moves on to hope. And this, I think, is, is, again, one of the main differences. There is no hope in so much of the music that we listen to in today's songs. Or if there is, it's false hope. Or it's vague hope. Like, are any of you guys fans of Dermot Kennedy, for instance, maybe? There's an Irish artist for you, Dermot Kennedy. He had a song here last year um, that was a a reasonably big hit uh, called Better Days. I don't know if you've heard this song. It's a song all about hope. It's just it's really vague. And it doesn't tell you where the hope is going to come from. It's like, I know you're going through hard times, babe, but it's going to get better. That's not actually the words of the song. Uh, But that's the thrust of the song. That's the thrust of the sun. That's a great message, except that it still has no hope. Things are going to get better. Well, how are they going to get better? Dermot says, I don't know. But they probably will somehow, right? There's no hope in that. It's like a false hope, a vague hope. A vague hope is still no hope at all. And so Deuteronomy 32 gives us a basis for hope. Rather than just some song that, full of hollow promises, That leaves us feeling with some sort of maybe shallow, temporary experience of relief, but can't actually give us the real hope we're longing for. As we read in Deuteronomy 32, verse 36, we're going to read 36. Here's what we read Indeed, the Lord will give justice to his people, and he will change his mind about his servants. And if we read verse 43, it says, Rejoice with him, you heavens, and let all of God's angels worship him. Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles, and let all the angels be strengthened in him. For he will avenge the blood of his children. He will take revenge against his enemies. He will repay those who hate him and cleanse his people's land. The song of Deuteronomy 32 presents this stark and, and, Realistic assessment of the human condition. But it is not without genuine hope. As he says there, rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. I venture a guess, as I have before, I still, I still hold to this guess. All of us in this room are probably Gentiles. Means we're not Jews all it means. I'm just going to guess. All right? An educated guess, I think, but still. There is hope for us. But where does that hope come from? Where do we find this hope? Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. Let all the angels be strengthened in him, for he will avenge the blood of his children. He will take revenge against his enemies. And you're like, whoa, that starts to get dark again. Except, actually, that's a lot. That's really hopeful, because I don't know about you guys, but like, do you realize like there's a lot of terrible things going on in this world? I don't know if you've noticed. That was sarcastic. I assume we all know. There are a lot of really terrible things. And even there, we did the walk for freedom. That's a bit of a bittersweet thing. Like It's something that we can do together as a community that's good. But we're raising awareness and recognizing that there is awful things happening to human beings even in our own community. And this presents a hope that that will not always be, and that the people who perpetrate those things, if they never repent, if they never turn from those wicked ways, they will be judged. And guys, that's good news. That's actually really good news that says the injustices that happen in this world, God sees them, and he cares about them, and he will do something about them. And so for people who struggle and fail and for a church that has often lost its way, I think we can recognize that, that the church on many occasions has lost its way a bit. But like this passage offers hope. It offers hope. We find hope in God's covenant commitment. We find hope in God's great compassion. And we see that hope most fully that hope that Deuteronomy 32 looks forward to most fully in Jesus. Jesus triumphs over our rebellion and our anger. Jesus triumphs over evil. And because Jesus has risen from the grave, we know that judgment will not be the last word for the follower of Jesus. And one day the entire universe will be transformed into a new creation where rebellion, heartbreak, and pain are no more. That through the work of Christ, God has judged and been victorious over all the forces of evil. That's what Colossians is incredible. That's one of the things that Colossians so clearly tells us. Like, if you guys want, like, man, go read Colossians. It's so cool. But, like, we get this picture of how Christ has been victorious over all the forces of evil and made a way of reconciliation for his people. This is the hope that is offered in Christ, and it's the hope that is offered to you and to me and to the entire world. This is the vision of the Song of Moses. This is the ultimate vision of the Song of Moses. And it is one that we will sing in the new creation. And its truth is worth singing in and over our lives constantly. This song will speak down into the core of our being. Not just this song, but all of the songs we sing. This is why, again, singing is so important. Do not underestimate the power of worship through song because it is poetry and because it is melody. Songs have a way to instill a message deep into the core of our being. I love this. Eugene Peterson has um, a quote. Now, as many of you may have read Eugene Peterson. Um, He also has written some commentaries. He wrote one on Revelation. And and he says this uh, in some comments about the book uh, of Revelation. He's talking about poetry. He says this, A poet uses words not to explain something and not to describe something, but to make something. Poet means maker. that That word means maker. Poetry is not the language of objective explanation, but the language of imagination. And so he goes on to say, we do not have more information after we read a poem. And I think it's true, sing a song. After we read a poem, we have more experience. That it invites us into the experience to experience Jesus and his goodness. Songs give us the ability to experience not only God's past action, but also God's current and future reality. Songs get stuck in our head. They do. They get stuck in our head, and they can stay with us throughout the day. Right? And this is why the songs that we sing and the songs that we listen to are important. Now, obviously, I went and listened to Taylor Swift, okay? So I'm not saying you, like, can never listen to anything that's not, like, worship music or something, okay? Don't, so don't mishear me here. But I am saying... But the songs we listen to are important. The way we curate our hearts, the way we curate our playlists, do something to the way we curate our hearts. I think that's important to remember. Right? Think about this. All right, let's, let's have an imaginary scenario, because you probably all have to work tomorrow. But let's just say you went to the shop tomorrow, and you're, you're shopping for things. And there's some song stuck in your head about, uh, I don't know, like maybe you're a rap fan and you're listening about all the bling. This tells you I'm not a rap fan. Um, why I'm picking on an genre of music I don't really listen to, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have listened to like T-Pain or something. So I like, OK. Anyway, I am like just making myself less and less relevant as I keep talking. All right. But here's what I'm saying. If you listen to a song that's about consuming, let's just say it's about consuming. And maybe it's about consuming other people. There's plenty of those songs. Let's say it's about consuming uh, the latest goods. I mean, that's like in plenty of songs. Let's say it's about consuming relationships. Let's say whatever it is. You're in the shop, and you've got that song stuck in your head. What is it telling you as you shop? That you're inadequate, that you need this, or you need that. I need to look like this. I need to look like that. I need to have these things. But what if you're in the shop? And instead, you're singing, I don't know, How Great is our God? That speaks down to the core of our being. How great is our God? Right? Those songs actually change, even, they could even change the way we shop. Isn't that weird, like to think about? But, like, the songs that are stuck in your head, the things that you're singing, the, the songs you can't get out, whether it's jingle bells or whether it's like, Taylor Swift's anti hero, or whether it's how great is our God, all of those things speak down into the core of our being and actually can change the way we live our lives, we go about our lives. And so, song is a powerful tool in the war against sin. Song is a powerful tool in the reformation of our lives, the reformation of our lives. Never underestimate the power of song. So, really quickly, and I promise you, this is, this is, we, it's like an anticlimactic sermon, really, in a way, because what we're going to do is just take a few moments to talk about some really practical things. All right, this is something, like, I've grown into. I used to think, like, songs don't affect me, whatever, music doesn't affect me, and I listen to whatever I want all the time, and I basically never listened to Christian music, because most of it was terrible. Um, that's still probably the case. But there's still, there's, there's enough being made that there's some really good music out there. Um, right? Okay, but, like, My mom would always be like, well, garbage in, garbage out. And I was like, mom, what do you know? And in fact, actually, what do I know? Because science would say that that's true. Um, So what are some practical things that we can do? First thing I think we see is sing. I probably should have had the next one there uh, first, is uh, is curate. There we go, curate your playlist carefully. So maybe let's start there, curate your playlist carefully. Think about the music you're listening to critically. Like I said, like, you know, I enjoyed listening to Antihero or whatever. Like it wasn't a bad song. But I was thinking about it critically. I wasn't just letting it sit on repeat in my head. And I think this is important. Again, I I mean, I've said up here too, I like Phoebe Bridgers. She's way more depressing than Taylor Swift. <laughs> but like, again, thinking about it critically. Not just accepting it. And maybe it's the same just true with worship music. There's some really terrible worship music out there, all right, that probably we should think critically about. Um, but curate the playlists. And then sing. Sing in the shower. Maybe you're like, I'm a terrible singer. I don't want anyone to ever hear me. OK, sing in the shower. Sing in the car. I walk down here every day up to the co-working space from my house and I hear people, they've got their music up so loud that I can't hear them singing anyway. I can see them singing, but I can't hear them. So like, listen, you can do that, right? Sing. It's powerful. Sing in the car. Sing wherever you feel comfortable. Sing with other people. Whether that's your family or your friends. Sing with your kids if you have them. Guys, this is incredibly important. Singing the right songs with your kids because, again, like I said, it speaks down to the heart. Singing scripture. One of the things that Alyssa does, and I'm just going to talk about how amazing my wife is for a second, is with our kids, her and the boys, they write memory verse songs every week. And they sing them. And they're able to recall them. It's incredible. Like, I, I love it. Like, sometimes, you know, it's like a song that they did like weeks ago and all of a sudden, like, you know, they're maybe they're reading in their Bible or whatever and they come across they're like, oh, we did this verse as a song. And there they go. Off they go onto this song, right? Like, I mean, it's incredible. Like, it's instilling the word of God into, the, into, into our children. And I love that. Guys, this is powerful and it's important because you know what? Whether they like it or not, if they keep singing these songs 20 years down the road, <laughs> when they're off on their own, they're gonna be walking down the road and all of a sudden they're gonna get one of those like little silly songs that they sang as a kid in their head and they won't be able to forget it. And that's what I want. I want that for my kids. Curate your playlist carefully. Be discerning about the songs you listen to. And come to church and sing with others. Now, if that's one of those, like you're, obviously you're here, so why do I need to tell you that? But it's good to remember. Like singing with other people is powerful. Singing together. Making your voices one. Singing. And we're about to do that. Right? Lydia's going to come up here as soon as I like, pray for us and we, we um, read our prayer of confession together. Right? This is powerful. Sing with other people. All right? So those are my recommendations for you. Like I said, a bit anticlimactic there. Um, I suppose really you could say it was like an appendix to the sermon or, uh, something. Um but yeah, I hope that was that was helpful for you guys. Let's let's pray together. Um, yeah. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father.